This is Nat Turney from This Is Not Church, and you are listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast with your illustrious and amazing host, Jason Elam. My guest today is a Bible teacher, speaker, blogger, and podcaster. He grew up in Amarillo, Texas, and received his BA from Vanderbilt University. He gives talks and conducts workshops on the Bible, covering a wide range of topics to churches and groups, as well as online. Since October 2008, he has conducted weekly Bible study workshops at the Federal Correction Institution in Danbury, Connecticut. He started the Bible Speaks to You podcast in October 2019, now with listeners in 130 countries. His focus is on getting back to the original Christianity of Jesus. As the Jesus Mindset Coach, he helps people embrace a mindset of Jesus and rediscover their rights and ability to think, act, pray, love, and heal like Jesus. We're going to talk about that today. He lives in Bethel, Connecticut with his wife. They have three grown children. It is an honor and a privilege to welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast, James Early. James, welcome. Hey, thanks, Jason. It's really an honor to be here. Well, it's an honor for me to have you here. I'm, uh, I got to be on your podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I thought we had such a great conversation that I just wanted to pick up where we left off. And, uh, you know, you got into kind of my story and asked some fantastic questions. And uh, I'm hoping to dive into yours with some probing questions today as well. We'll see how messy we can get. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I, I kind of ask all my guests the same first question and see where things go from there. Were you raised in an atmosphere of faith? Yes, I was. Tell me about that. What did that look like in your context? Okay, well, my dad was a Presbyterian, and I went to the Presbyterian church with him uh, growing up. My mom was a Christian scientist, and so we had a lot of Bible in our home. Um, We usually did a little daily devotional at the breakfast table, sometimes from um, the Upper Room publication and Later on, when we when the, we kids got a little older, we would read a chapter of the Bible every day, either at breakfast or at dinner, and we'd all take turns, you know, reading a chapter in the Bible. So that took about seven or eight years. We weren't totally consistent, but that really helped form my sense of um, connecting with the Bible and realizing that this was a an important. Um, guide for my life. And we talked about the stories. My mom would read me Bible stories when I was a kid to put me to bed. And we talked about them. We talked about the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes. Uh, not every minute of every day, but, you know, it was important to both my parents that we had, that all three of us kids had a, you know, a, an understanding of, of this sort of thing. And, and, not just the words, but what does it mean to be loving and and that sort of thing. So yeah, I grew up with uh, a lot of, you know, going to church and going to Sunday school and participating in, in church activities and that sort of thing. Did you kind of stay consistent? Was was faith a vital part of your life from that early age? Or did you kind of go through a, a time where you questioned your faith and it became more your own rather than your parents' faith passed down to you? That's a real good question. I never rebelled like uh, you hear some people doing. I didn't really take it seriously probably until I was in junior high and high school. I kind of went to church in Sunday school because my dad did. He took us. It was important to him. And so it was important to me just kind of, you know, that's what you do. Um, but it was more when I was in high school when I started asking those harder questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why does God allow this sort of thing to happen? All those kinds of things. And when I started asking those questions, I kind of got dissatisfied with some of the way those questions were answered at church. And so that's when I started ch- yeah, checking things out for myself, trying to really read the Bible for myself instead of just listening to what other people said. So, but I never, I never quit going to church. I was always, I mean, I, that was kind of my home. I, I, I went because my dad did and, and I went because I guess I got something out of it. And, and there were, there were a lot of seeds planted in there somewhere. So 
that's, I don't know. I mean, I could talk all day about church, but that's, it, it was, it was an important part of my life. I guess it's the best way to, to say it. But it was, it was when I was in high school, actually, when, um, I had actually started going to the Christian Science Church. And in that church, there's like a daily Bible study, um, a weekly Bible study on a particular topic. And one week, one of the Bible verses was that one in, First John, where it says, if you say you love God, but don't love your brother whom you can see, if you don't love, if you say you love God whom you cannot see, but you don't love your brother whom you can see, you're a liar. And I had a little brother that I did not love. And oh, I read, uh, yeah, oh, I used to fight all the time with him. He would I was, I don't know, he just upset me. He could look at me the, that, that way a little brother can. It would make me upset. And, Push your buttons without saying a word. Oh, and absolutely. And so I read that verse, and this is at the point where I had started making my faith my own. And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm a liar because I say I love God, but I hate my little brother. <laughs> You know, I, I loved him in principle, but in practice, we didn't get along too well. <laughs> right. The way most of us think of our relationship with God, he loves us because he has to, but in practice, he doesn't like us very much. <laughs> well, um, so I had this epiphany that real, I realized, oh my gosh, I have got to love my little brother. And he was in junior high and smart kid, precocious and really was a nice guy. He didn't really do much to to deserve the way I treated him. I was my own insecurities or something, who knows what. But so at that point, I made a conscious choice to love my brother. And it was a real sense of freedom for me. And I think it was only one time after that did I ever really lose my temper with him again. And that was a long time later. But then after that, I we are on very good terms now. We we love each other. We are supportive of each other now. And that's been the case for many, many years. But I think it was that time when I was brought face to face with my lack of love for my brother when I read that Bible verse. Because I'd probably heard it before. But here I was really trying to put into practice these ideas in my own life. And that's really what made the difference. And my brother later was telling me he noticed the difference. All of a sudden, he was wondering, what happened to my brother? He's not beating me up anymore. So um, I think when we really try and take something, whatever it is in the Bible, like love your neighbors yourself or forgive your enemies, pray for your enemies, that sort of thing, when you really take that to heart and really try to put those ideas into practice, it makes a big difference. It changes your life and it changes other people's lives. And and that was what happened for me in, in high school. Well, that's really powerful. Uh, I, I agree. There's a huge difference between somebody who just has, you know, kind of adopted the Bible as, um, I don't know, the owner's manual for the human life or life on earth, you know, basic instructions before leaving earth. And then somebody who just takes those red letters and really makes that their goal, you know, makes love their goal. There is a huge difference. It's really interesting that your brother caught on to that right away. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You've mentioned Christian science a couple of times already. So I want to backtrack just a bit. And I know most most people that I would know would, who are listening would say they're familiar with the Presbyterian church. Not as many would be familiar with Christian science. Can you explain to us exactly what that is and and why it's appealing to you? Okay, I'll try to give a short version. And I'm not any, you know, official spokesperson for the Christian Science Church. I'm just going to share my own perspective and my own insights. I, and maybe, maybe first it might be helpful to give you just a little bit of a, a, a backstory about the Christian Science Church itself. The Christian Science Church was started by a, a woman named Mary Baker Eddy in the 19th century. She grew up in uh, rural New England, and uh, in the in the 19th century, she was a member of a very uh, religious congregational family. Her dad was a Calvinist, a very 
staunch Calvinist. And her mother was a much more loving, outgoing, you know, beneficent type person. And so she grew up in this uh, very religious atmosphere. She loved the Bible. She always was reading the Bible as a kid, but she had a real challenge health-wise. She was often sick and couldn't get out of bed, couldn't always go to school. And this followed her into her adult life. And she tried um, all kinds of things of her day. This is in the mid-1800s. And, you know, they had uh, normal, whatever normal was at the time, uh, you know, the doctors and had all whatever they did then, which was obviously not as advanced as we have today. But there were also the the weird things of, of her day as well. She tried everything uh, to try and f- find uh, lasting health and nothing really ever solved her health issues. And she was having other challenges as well. But at, when she was about 45, 44, 45 years old, she was living north of Boston in a little town called uh, Swampscott, Massachusetts. And she was visiting some friends in another little town called Lynn. It was February and the sidewalks were icy and she slipped and fell, was knocked unconscious. And the short version of that is the doctors, uh, she was taken to her home and the doctors said, there's nothing he could do. Uh, she was not going to make it. This was like three or four days later. He'd done everything he could. She wasn't going to live through the day. And she had regained consciousness at that point. And she asked somebody to bring her her Bible. And she opened up to a place that she'd read many times before. And she'd always wondered, well, uh, it was a place where Jesus healed someone. And she'd always wondered, well, if that happened back then, 1900 years ago, why can't it happen today? And the church of her day in the mid-1900s was, oh, well, that just happened in the apostolic age. Those those healings don't happen anymore. We don't need those anymore because uh, that was just to get the church started or, you know, they had all their things they said like that. Well, she read this story this time in her dire situation and all of a sudden, she just felt filled with God's love and God's presence. And she had a hard time even putting that into language to describe what she experienced. But uh, she just really felt that God was present with her. And the thought came to her that God is my life. It's not in this, this body. It's, you know, it's spiritual. And when she had that awareness, all of a sudden she was well and she got up and dressed and went in the other room where her friends and family were expecting her to die any minute. And it was an incredible transformation. While she'd been searching for 20 plus years of her adult life for answers to these health issues she'd had, and all of a sudden she found herself well and she thought, well, I mean, what would you do if that happened to you? And I'll say that to all your listeners too. You know, if you had an experience like that, what would you do next? And her first thought was, well, obviously, why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? Can it happen again? Can I help other people? And she kind of did what Paul did when he had his Damascus, on the road to Damascus experience. She took about three years and just really dug into the Bible. She wanted to see if there was something in the Bible that it could explain you know, what had happened to her, something Jesus said or, or whatever. And she, she found that because of her experience, people started calling her to pray for them. And she was, her prayers would heal other people. And they'd say, well, how do you, how do you do that? She says, I don't know. I just know that the Holy Spirit is going to heal them. And, and she didn't really understand what was going on all the time. And, um, so she didn't intend to start a church, but it ended up she did start a church. She wrote a book uh, about her experience, and that book is still in print. It's called Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures. And she had some very radical ideas about God's supremacy and God's power and love to heal. And she sort of fought against some of the religious teachings of her day 
kind of like a lot of people are doing, uh, you know, in the 21st century. Uh, you know, re- she rebelled against the Calvinism, the strict legalism of, of her day. And so you ask me now, what appeals to me about the, the Christian Science Church? I really appreciate the fact that her, she started the church to get back to the original Christianity of Jesus and the lost element of healing. Uh, when she did that in the uh, middle of the, well, I guess around 1879 is when she started the church, but that was not a common practice uh, in Christian churches at that point. And you look today, and I have friends in lots of different denominations, and everybody talks about healing. I have a friend in a church, you know, his pastor prayed for him and he was healed of a heart attack instantly. And I've, I've had lots of healing experiences in my own life. And I've just seen so much that uh, convinces me that this healing power of God is just as present today as it was for Jesus. And it's just as much accessible and approachable for you and me as it was for Jesus and his immediate disciples. And so that's one of the aspects of the Christian Science Church that I have appreciated uh, for many years now. And um, I think the other thing is just the sense of, of who God is that I've gotten from reading the, the writings of Mary Baker Eddy. She talks about God being infinite love and, you know, you and I have talked about that uh, previously when you were on my podcast. God is not some wrathful, anthropomorphic figure throwing thunderbolts from the clouds at people if they slip up one little bit. I mean, think about what in the word infinite means. And John says in First John, uh, God is love. You know, think of the whole universe just filled with this spiritual source that we call love, we call God, we try to put names on God to try and understand him. But I think that sense of God's omnipresent, infinite, all-powerful, never-failing, people talk about unconditional love. I like to think of omni-conditional love every circumstance and situation, God is just pure love. And uh, that's that's really probably the most important thing I've gotten out of my study of Christian science. Well, you actually uh, anticipated my next question and, and kind of already answered it. I was going to ask you, who do you think God is today? And you've, you've already answered that with omniconditional love. I love that. Do you-, you know, I, I, I'm going to share something else though. Uh, because it sounds presumptuous of us to define God. And I really, I, I don't want anybody listening to think, oh, well, who does he think he is? He can say who God is, because I'm still figuring this out. <laughs> At one time I was uh, talking to a friend and she was maybe a little kind of new age-ish and she found freedom in that and that's fine. I, I you know, I love to talk to people, whatever their faith persuasion is, but she said, something, oh, it was the only God you have is your concept of God, so get a a better concept. Well, I thought that was pretty interesting, but the more I thought about it, I realized, well, wait a minute, if our God is our concept of him, then we have basically created a little, everybody has their own little God because they've created their own little concept of God. And the thought came to me, what I want to know not what my concept of God is, because I might not be right. I might only see a little piece of that. What is God's concept of himself? How does God perceive his own nature, his own identity, his own being? That's what I want to know. Uh, so my prayer is a lot of times, God, show me yourself. You know, I love where Moses in the Old Testament uh, he says to God, show me your glory or something like that. And God says, he puts him up in the cleft of the rock and he says, okay, I'm going to show you all my glory. All my glory will pass before you. 
And you're, you're not going to see my front. You're just going to see the, 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 you know, the backside of it, which is kind of a metaphor. But, you know, Moses had that same desire. And I think that's a righteous desire that we can want to know God as God sees himself. And, um, you know, that's a revelation. You can't, with the human mind, figure it out. You can't uh, take a vote uh, at some church council, and that really bugs me about the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. They took a vote on who God is, who Jesus is, and whether they're right or wrong is not the point. They were a bunch of men trying to decide things, and I understand why that process happened, but to me, that is so arrogant to think that, well, we're going to vote and decide who God is. And then if you don't agree with us after that, then you're a heretic. <laughs> like, oh my, that just, you know, what is God revealing right now? How does God reveal his nature? Anyway, that's what's important to me. So, you know, how does God reveal himself in, in our everyday world? That, that's such a great question. So as you consider that question, what, in what ways has God revealed God's self to you? Sometimes I, I write down in my journal, I've been keeping a journal since probably 1980 or so, 1979 or 1980. And sometimes I'll write down conversations that I'm having with God. I'll ask questions. And I'll say sometimes, God, tell me about yourself. And I wonder, am I just making this stuff up? I mean, I don't know for sure, you know, but these are the thoughts that come to me. I hear God say things like, and it's often kind of in biblical language just because that's a language that I resonate with, but he'll say, I'm infinite love. I'm everywhere. Or I think God has also revealed himself to me in times of need. I can think of little things like when I lost my car keys and my two and a half year old daughter was, you know, we were, we'd gone to Costco and I'd, I'd, the car was locked. I didn't have the keys. They weren't locked in the car. They weren't anywhere. And I was getting desperate. My wife had the other set of car keys in New York City and I was in Connecticut. And, you know, I just, I had tried everything. I'd tr retraced my path, went into inside to see if anybody had turned in keys in the lost and found and went all over wherever we'd been. I couldn't find anything. And I was desperate. And I thought, God, what do I do next? And I literally heard, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was a, the still small voice inside my head that said, go down to the end of your car, turn right, walk three cars and turn right again. And I did that. And there were my keys on the pavement. Wow. Yeah, it's like, okay, what did God reveal about himself that he cares about me? I mean, I could have called a locksmith and I could have gotten home. I'd have to call another locksmith to, or a taxi. You know, I didn't have keys to my house either. The solution could have happened another way. But I heard the voice of God talking to me. And I think... This is one thing you and I talked about uh, when you were on my uh, show a couple of weeks ago. You know, when, when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter responded, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, well, it's on this rock that I build my church. He said something, Peter, I mean, Jesus said something really important. Nobody told you this. Flesh and blood, no person, no human theory. You said something like, you know, you didn't get it out of a theological book. It wasn't a process of the human mind. It was a revelation directly from God to Peter and that that was the rock that Jesus was building his church on that God reveals himself to us in small ways, big ways, whatever. And that was a tiny little example of that when God gave me what, you know, talked to me and I heard his voice. I've had other experiences that are probably more significant than that, but where God has revealed himself to me through healing, 
when I've been sick or been challenged with somebody that hated me and how do you forgive? And I think God reveals himself when, well, when here, I'll put it this way. When you put into practice, you like to call it the red letters of Jesus. You know, I was thinking of the Sermon on the Mount specifically. Um, he said a lot more than that, obviously. But when you take the Sermon on the Mount and put those ideas into practice in your own life, that's when God reveals his nature to me anyway. Because if Jesus wants me to be loving, guess what? It's because I get that from God. I don't manufacture that love or that forgiveness or that mercy or that peace of mind. It's not something I create myself. But when I practice that, I realize, oh, I'm getting that from God. One time I was driving to church one Sunday morning and I was praying to love everybody at church and everything. And God sort of interrupted me and said, you know what? Stop loving them with your love and love them with my love. He said, I'm going to give you my heart to love everyone at church with. Love them with my heart. And that just totally blew me out of the water. And church was a lot more amazing that Sunday morning. (laughs) (laughs) Because it wasn't little old James Early trying to love everybody. And everybody at church I loved anyway. But I, I felt a much deeper sense of love for everyone because it wasn't me trying to manufacture something. It was me just radiating the love that God already had for everybody. What does the voice of God sound like? Ooh, that's a good question. You know, I think the voice of God comes in lots of different ways. It's not usually like in the you know, the movies where you have this deep voice saying, James, you know, do so-and-so. It's more just a soft, soft little voice like somebody's talking to me. Sometimes I think the voice of God is, you know, you look out and you see the daffodils or you see the the sparkle uh, of the sunshine on on the the morning dew in the grass. I mean, God talks in so many different ways. I think sometimes the voice of God can be loud. Uh, Sometimes it has, for me anyway, it has been a warning, like don't do that or stop. But it's usually usually a, a gentle thing for me anyway. I don't know what it sounds like. It just sounds like, I don't know. It doesn't really have, it doesn't have an accent. It doesn't have a tone. It it is in English because that's the, you know, I think God speaks to us in a language that we can hear and understand. And uh, maybe if you, if you need somebody shouting at you to get your attention, maybe God shouts at you. I don't know. I like to joke, you know, sometimes he kicks you in the pants to get you to do something. (laughs) And, and, you know, sometimes there are those kind of, I think sometimes God speaks to us in the midst of a challenge. Uh, when we've, you know, maybe gone into a direction that we shouldn't have or accidentally we got someplace and it turned, you know, the situation went sour and, you know, God may rebuke us. And I think sometimes the voice of God is a rebuke and, and we have to be willing to let that happen because sometimes we need a little um, correction there, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I definitely do anyway. Um, Okay, so I want to ask you about the Bible, because it's obviously such a part of your life and your faith. You talk about being a Bible teacher. You talk about Bible workshops and Bible lessons. And your podcast is called The Bible Speaks to You. But when you were talking earlier about the Council of Nicaea and these men voting on, you know, what was going to be Orthodox theology and what would be heresy, have you ever struggled with confidence in how the Bible came to us? You know, I have not struggled in the way some people have. I I think I have, I probably don't know as much about that as I ought to. I have done some, you know, initial study on that. Uh, That has not been my big concern. I do feel 
And, and this is where, you know, we have some honest disagreements with some of our fellow Christian brothers and sisters. I do feel that over the centuries that people have written down things in the Bible that even, even as they were being written, uh, I don't know. I do not feel that the Bible was dictated word for word from God. I believe people wrote down their perception of things. And that doesn't take away the inspiration that's there, but it, it makes me realize that what we do have in the Bible, I think it's, it comes down to, well, can we take the ideas here? Are they, do they reveal God's nature? Like you take things Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that I mentioned earlier. When you practice those things, I think that's how you know that those sayings are true. Because if somebody had just made up, love your enemy and forgive, you know, 70 times seven times, it wouldn't have the same effect as if uh, there was really truth behind it. And so to me, I, I don't, I don't, it's not a big topic for debate about how we have this current version of the Bible and which translation and all that stuff. And I like to get into the original meanings of the Greek words, and I know just enough to be dangerous sometimes. But it, it's it's insightful to me, all those things. But at the end of the day, I'm really focusing mostly on what Jesus, what we have recorded that Jesus said or supposedly said. And I'm just trying to live those things in my life. So I don't know. I'm not really answering your question that well, I guess. Uh, well, you did. I mean, I guess uh, I was I was probably taking a roundabout way of asking about the inerrancy issue. Um, and you did kind of speak to that. I, I, I do not believe in the doctrine of inerrancy uh, that I don't, uh, that, that has come up through the church. And I don't think that's part of the original Christianity of of the early, early church. It has, it's a doctrine that has come up over the centuries. And I don't know all the details about that. I know there are other people that could address that more specifically. I do believe the scriptures are inspired. And, and as far as the, you know, that verse where it talks about all scriptures, God breathed. Well, that was Paul talking and too many times people then apply that to all of Paul's writings and everything in the New Testament. I don't, he wasn't referring, I don't think, to his own letters. Maybe he, I've seen people argue that, of course, he was and all that stuff. I don't really know. That, that to me, is not so crucial as, um, is there, what's the value here? And it doesn't bother me if, if some scribe in the 12th century transliterated some Greek word and translated it wrong, or uh, you, we know that St. Augustine, he didn't know Greek, and he was translating things from Latin, and he got some concepts wrong. And yet some of those things, all the way from the 3rd and 4th century, they're still being translated that way in our current Bibles. So in, in light of all those things, it's amazing to me that we have what we have. And, you know, a Bible scholar could run circles around me and is probably rolling his eyes if he's listening right now. And, and that's fine. <laughs> he's probably not listening to this podcast in the first place. <laughs> I, I don't know. You've got some pretty interesting uh, <sighs> listeners, you know. So I am not a Bible scholar. I'm not a Bible theologian, but I'm a Bible lover and I'm focusing on, as, I, as, as you said in my, in my introduction, my goal is to really get back to what did Jesus say? that we have recorded. What did Jesus say? How do we put that into practice? I enjoy a good theological conversation, but at the end of the day, even taking what the Bible says about salvation, you're not saved by your theology. We could all be wrong. We may all have little bits and pieces of things that are right, but at the end of the day, it's it's about obeying what Jesus Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's not a command. It's a, it, the actual 
uh, verb there is in the tense of, um, well, whatever it's called. It's, it's a declarative statement. It's not, uh, uh, it's not he's saying to do it like a command. He's saying, this is what will happen. This is the result. If you love me, the result will be that you will keep my commandments. And so that's my goal and my goal to help other people. How do we keep Jesus's commandments? He said a lot of things. He gave a lot of instructions. And how do we live those in our life? That's, that's my focus. And let the theologians, theologians, let the theologians debate all that stuff. That's just not my deal anymore. Understood. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you to unpack this idea of the mindset of Christ, what you try to teach to people in your workshops and in your classes and your podcast. When you talk about the mindset of Christ, what exactly are you trying to get at? That's a great question. I love that question. I'm so grateful you asked me that because I love to talk about this. Paul says that we have the mind of Christ. That's really an amazing statement. Another place he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, That's from the King James translation and various translations say similar things to that. But let this attitude or this this mindset, what is then the mindset of Christ? I think it's interesting to see how Jesus started his ministry. And to me, this is the, the key element of that. Unlike so many people today preaching, they start off telling about how, what a wicked sinner you are and you're going to hell and you better uh, believe in Jesus and all these things. That's not the way Jesus preached. He started off saying, hey, I've got some really great news, guys. Guess what? The kingdom of heaven is not way off in the future. It's not after you die. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's so close. It's right here. It's right now. Later on, he would even say the kingdom of God is within you. I don't think we have even begun to scratch the surface on what that means. It's an incredible promise. It's an incredible sense of wonder that we have when we start to contemplate that. But that was the core message, I think, of Jesus's gospel. It wasn't his crucifixion. And that's a whole other important aspect of what Jesus did. But his core message was that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In fact, when he sent his disciples out, both the 12 and then later the 70, he said, go tell them about the kingdom and heal everybody and cast out demons and cleanse the lepers and raise the dead. Uh, but most the, the first thing he said was, preach the gospel of the kingdom. So that's what I've been thinking about. Okay, what does this mean that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Well, I got to thinking of it this way. I believe that Jesus looked at earth and the people that came in contact with him and all the circumstances and situations he was in. I believe he was looking at at those things from the perspective of what was true in the kingdom of heaven. You know, in the book of Revelation, it says in in the new heaven and new earth, there's no sorrow, there's no pain, there's no tears, there's no crying, there's no uh, death, there's no sin, nothing sinful can get into heaven, all these things. So in the kingdom of heaven, there's this pure state of spiritual Joy, bliss, harmony, health, you know, how do we put it into words? Well, another thing that has helped me figure this out, and again, this is just, you know, what's coming to me. Jesus said when Pilate was asking him, uh, when it was cross-questioning him just before his crucifixion, Jesus said, I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. And to me, that truth is, What is true in the kingdom of heaven? That's what he was preaching all this time. In the kingdom of heaven, there is total harmony, spiritual 
I will say spiritual perfection even. And I think that's how Jesus healed. When he saw a leper coming to him or a blind man coming up, I mean, his human physical eyeballs saw the same thing that everybody else's human physical eyeballs saw. But I think he saw something with his spiritual eyes. His spiritual vision saw, wait a minute, in the kingdom of heaven, which he could see was at hand, there's no blindness, there's no uh, leprosy, there's no disability in the kingdom of heaven. And I, I come to the conclusion that he saw that so clearly that those things dissolved in his presence because it was like he was turning on a, a light switch in a dark room and everybody in the dark room then was, uh, you know, experienced the light. And I, I'll give you an example of um, someone I was sharing this very idea with in my prison ministry. I had shared this basic concept that I just did with you about the kingdom of heaven at hand and what is true in the kingdom of heaven and what what's not true in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, all these challenges and stuff we struggle with here on earth. I mean, here on earth, they're very real. Uh, but in the kingdom of heaven, they don't exist. And so I had to, I kind of explained, and that's kind of a ethereal concept in a sense, but I was explaining that to this, uh, my Bible study group. And several weeks later, a man said at the first of the class, he said, oh, James, you'll never guess. I've got to share something with you. What happened? And I said, what happened? And he said, well, a couple of weeks ago, after you had told us all that, I got a terrific, a terrible rather, toothache. And I didn't want to go to the prison dentist. And But after a couple of days, it was really, really bad. And then I remembered our conversation. And he said, this is what how I prayed about it. I said, okay, in the kingdom of heaven, there are no toothaches. So in the kingdom of heaven, this toothache doesn't exist. And so uh, there was some something else kind of like that, that that was his thought process. And he says, so this toothache, and oh, and then he said, and I know that I live in the kingdom of heaven right now. It's not way off in the future. It's here right now. So this toothache is not part of me and it's not part of the kingdom of heaven. And he said at that moment, the toothache totally went away instantly. And wow, I know. So to me, the mindset of Jesus is so many things but I think the, the, the kingpin or the most important aspect of that is knowing what's, bearing witness to the truth of what's going on in heaven right now. Uh, and looking through that lens and looking at, at our, our, our lives through that perspective. And it doesn't mean that instantly everything is totally resolved. I mean, I still have problems I'm working out, okay? <laughs> but I have had experiences where something has dissolved quickly when I, when I, when I grasp the, the ideas that I was just sharing and that, that that guy from the prison had. So that's kind of a hint of, of, um, of what I'm getting at. I, I, you know, what does it mean to love someone? What does it really mean to love your enemies? Uh, that one's, that's hard, but that was Jesus's mindset. And to me, I think it's to see what's helped me is to see, okay, well, in the kingdom of heaven, th that hatred can't get in. It's not like, I don't even think I'll, this is my opinion only. I don't think in the kingdom of heaven, even the memory of hating someone can get in. And so when I see that person in heaven, officially, whatever that means, I'll say, oh, hi, it's great to see you. Well, if I can bear witness to that now, that helps me love that person, realize that hatred or whatever they did that was mean to me, that's not part of who God made them to be. Anyway, those are just a couple of ideas. I don't know if that's helpful or not. Yeah, it is. It's it's powerful. And, you know, I've been fascinated for, I guess, man, the last 20 years uh, on this idea of the gospel of the kingdom and what it means, and how do we live that out, and how do we walk in that. And um, uh, there have been some really dramatic healing things that have taken place along that journey. Um, I remember I was 
in Peru on a mission trip. It was one of those things that just happened at the last minute. Somebody else canceled and I got to go for free. And I, cu- I couldn't wait to get there, but I didn't know why I was going. <laughs> and um, I-, I was a Southern Baptist uh, and all that that implies. Really legalistic, so arrogant, I could strut sitting down. <laughs> but wow, that's um, impre- that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I I was offered the opportunity to preach to a youth gathering because I was a young guy at the time, and that's what you do with young guys is let them preach to the kids, right? Um, and I, at the end of that time, I just felt like God said, you know, let's uh, let's have a time for prayer for healing, which I was pretty uncomfortable with just the whole idea of that. The line was. Th- 300 people one direction and another 300 people the other direction. Oh my god. They're just goodness. going down both sides of that church. It, it was kind of an open air building. So when when I say church, I'm not talking about what we have here in the United States. But um, anyway, uh, at the end of that night, this little girl comes with her mother and the little girl's blind. And um, the mom says that her daughter had some horrible illness that came upon her and left her blind and left her kind of incoherent. She talked about how they used to sing together and and the little girl had such joy in her eyes and now her eyes were dead. And and this is all coming to me through a translator. And I just felt like God said, I, w- I, I want to I do something. And so we prayed and, you know, the 300 people to the right and the 300 people to the left forgot why they were there. And they stretched their hands towards this little girl. And at the end of that night, that little girl could see. Oh my gosh. See, that's beautiful. That's the kingdom of heaven. And, and that shook me, you know? And, oh my. And, and there were so many things that I, I didn't even know if I believed in or not that, <laughs> that were just made manifest right in front of me. And so now, you know, I've, I've deconstructed a lot of things and I don't believe a lot of things that I used to believe, but those kind of experiences, those living demonstrations of the kingdom of God, we can't lose those. That's because right. Because we've had that experience. That's part of who we are. Yeah. So, Anything that I've deconstructed, I've had to take that with me because I was there. I saw it. I know what happened in front of my eyes. Now, I also need to say this. There's also been a lot of people that, that I've prayed for in the years since who, who didn't get what I was praying for. Right. Um, I think about the fact that, you know, Benny Hinn, somebody who had prayed for a lot of people over the years. Um, his mother was a diabetic. He prayed for her until the day she died. Um, Bill Johnson out in Redding, California, has a has a son with hearing loss. That son prays for a lot of deaf people and they get healed, but the son himself still deals with hearing loss. And uh, I believe Bill Johnson's wife right now is going through a, a horrific health issue. What do you do with that? When we have this mindset of this doesn't exist in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven is here and now, what do you do when you don't see it? That is, that's a good question. And I don't have the greatest answer. You know, I, I encourage people not to lose their faith. You know, as I said, I'm, there's still things I'm praying about. I don't have all my problems solved. I've done some, some podcast episodes that are, that deal with this, you know, like, is it ever God's will for you not to be healed? And, some churches will say that. Some pastors will say, well, it must not be God's will for you to be healed or you would have been healed because I know you're a good Christian. And I don't know that I could say that. I think it's always God's will for us to be healed. Sometimes I think there's something in the way and we don't know what it is. And that sounds kind of cold and cruel almost. And I don't, I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I think that sometimes the, sometimes it's our own lack of faith or we've already said, well, God, if it's not your will to heal me, that's okay. I mean, that's kind of a, a self-defeated, uh, prayer for healing, although it's a humble one. But, you know, Jesus never refused to heal anyone that asked him. There were times when he didn't heal very often in his own hometown because people were uh, not receptive to who he was. And I think if he had gone in there and healed 
I'll say indiscriminately, everybody at that point, they would have taken it the wrong way. They would have misconstrued it. They wouldn't have understood it. Uh, but anytime somebody came to him for healing, he always healed him. He never said, well, God's trying to teach you a lesson. And so it's not, it's not time for you to be healed yet. He never said that. And so uh, getting back to the uh, mindset of Jesus, I think, um, I think it's important to realize his, he, he was always willing and ready and able to heal someone. The, uh, the one time, and his disciples were healing people too. And, but there was a time when, uh, the, the, the son of a, uh, there was a, a, a young boy who was, uh, lunatic. He was having spasms and the, his father came to Jesus' disciples and they weren't able to heal this boy. And so they gave up. When Jesus got back, he said, um, well, this only, you can only heal these, these serious types of situations through prayer and fasting. And, you know, again, we have these little catchphrases. We say, oh, well, you must not have prayed and fasted enough. I think that's, that's not very thoughtful uh, or considerate because you never know what's in someone's heart and you never know what I'll say evil influences are, are behind the scenes. I, I think sometimes there's wickedness in high places that Paul talks about. And I don't mean this in a superstitious way, but sometimes there are, there are evil influences in our lives that we don't even, that we're not aware of or we don't know how to deal with. And I think, I know for myself, sometimes when I have really prayed to address those things in my life where there's, you know, something is trying to influence me to pull me away from God, to pull me away from Christ, to pull me away from my faith. Sometimes that's what I really need to be healed of and not just, you know, the, the problem. And I'm kind of going on and on here. I, I want to come back to this whole idea, you know, when you've prayed and you haven't been healed or you've prayed for someone else or they prayed for you and there wasn't healing. Maybe it's time to say, God, what is it that I do need? What, what really needs to be healed? It may not be the physical problem. It may be some hidden pride in your heart, or it might be, uh, I don't know. And, and I mean, we all have things like that that we need to be healed. I mean, but God, the, at the end of the day, though, I know God loves all of us and he wants all of us to f- experience his presence and his healing power. And that can look different for different people. Uh, and, and sometimes we just need to get a better relation. I don't, this, anything I say at this point could be taken to the wrong way. So I'm, I, I don't know exactly how to say this, but, uh, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says that we should pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I'll go back to my previous statement about what's true in the kingdom of heaven. I think the more that we are, the, the, the clearer glimpses that we get of what really is true in the kingdom of heaven. And I don't mean that intellectually, because I can say the words. That doesn't mean I understand it or experience it spiritually. The more that God reveals to us his true nature as infinite divine love and what the kingdom of heaven really is, the more we experience that revelation, I think that's the spiritual light getting turned on that will dissolve these things that haven't been healed yet. And so it may come to us in degrees and we may not feel like we've been healed the way, you know, if Jesus walked in the room, uh, that he would heal us. There were times he actually said, do you want me to heal you? Do you believe that I can heal you? And I've heard some Christians say, well, I don't think God can heal me. So that's, you know, those are, those are just some thoughts. I don't really have the greatest answer. I've sort of rambled on here and I, I don't know if is any of that helpful. I, I struggle with this too. Yeah, it is. I think I think it's the only honest answer that that most people can give on that question, just because there's a lot we don't know. <laughs> 
when it comes to healing. I mean, just in God in general, you know, even the who is God question. And you were very transparent and said, uh, any answer I give is going to be incomplete. I think that's the same with this question. Uh, But I think you've done a great job of unpacking the questions that that question sets off. Um, And that, that that's very helpful. I wanted to talk to you before we go. I know we're almost out of time. I wanted to talk to you before we go about how you came to work in the prison. I, I think that this idea of the mindset of Christ would be so revolutionary in most institutions, and, and that includes a, a lot of churches, right? Um, yeah, what a concept. <laughs> right. Uh, so revolutionary. And and I love the fact that you are going and talking to these these incarcerated uh, brothers. Uh, how did you end up there, and why do you do it? As, as you said in the introduction, since uh, October of 2008, I've been going to the Danbury Federal Correctional Institution. And of course, that's been on hold during the last two years because of the pandemic. But I was going every week and doing a Bible study out there. About two or three years before I started going to the prison, the woman who had started that ministry asked me if I would be willing to come with her and help her with it. And at that point, I said, absolutely not. Uh, I did not think I had anything to offer because my stereotype of what that prison was like was there were all these hardened criminals and I was this little goody two-shoes that never had taken drugs or never, you know, gotten into that kind of trouble. And why would they listen to me? Uh, and I just didn't necessarily feel at a place in my life where I could speak authentically about the kinds of things that would be helpful to the women at, and men at the prison. And so I declined. Well, two or three years later, the woman that had been going with this first lady called me up and said, James, I need someone to help me at the prison. And I was praying about it and it came to me that you would be the one to do that. And I was in a very different place in my faith at that point. And maybe in my life circumstances, I don't remember, uh, you know, what was going on in my, the rest of my life at that point. But I said, Oh, I'd love to. Oh, well, let me pray about it first. I mean, it was so clearly the right thing for me to do. And I did pray about it and, and it was, I got a, clear green light from God to say, yes, this is right for you to do. So I would go out every week and we'd, we'd have a Bible study and, and, um, sometimes we would read the weekly Bible lesson that the Christian science puts out. And we'd also, I'd put together Bible studies on, I did how to pray like Jesus, all the healings of Jesus, all the angels in the Bible. The women wanted me to do all the women in the Bible. So that was like nine months of, we studied every woman that I could find in the Bible. And then we did one about the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit and how does it act in our lives today? And we studied everything in the Bible about that. And so they have been very, very receptive to this idea. And I'm not going there trying to convert them to my church or my way of reading the Bible, I go very open-minded. I have people from lots of different denominations show up, and it's more about, let's read these Bible stories together and see what the lessons are that these people learned, and how can we take those same lessons and apply them in our lives? And I had a woman one time, um, she'd been brought up in a church where she was never allowed to ask questions. It was a legalistic type of a setting where you couldn't ask questions. Uh, you just had to take what they told you. And I said, oh, I'll ask you questions. She would sometimes spend the whole hour asking her questions. We never even got to the lesson I had prepared. And at the end of two years, um, she said, I mean, you know, Mr. Early, uh, when I came into prison, I was I was depressed. I was taking four or five different medications for, for my depression. I was, I felt so terrible about the crime I committed. I was estranged from my family and I had no, I had lost my faith in God and I felt miserable about myself. After being in your Bible study for two years and she was going to be released the next day, this would be the last time I ever saw her. She said, after being in your Bible study for two years, I have learned 
how to think for myself. I would let her think for herself. I didn't answer her questions. I'd say, well, let's see what the Bible says about this and that and the other thing. And she said, I have made peace with my crime. I have reestablished my relationship with my family and my faith in God is restored and I'm off all my medications for depression and it's all because I was in your Bible study. Well, I knew she had a little chip on her shoulder, but I didn't know she was struggling with all that stuff. And uh, so I think when people start to experience this ability to think with the mindset of Jesus for themselves instead of because someone told, I didn't tell them, you have to do this, you have to think this way. You know, I said, here's what we've got here. Let's, let's run with it. When people start doing that for themselves and experience for themselves, thinking from the perspective of Jesus's mindset. I mean, that's so transformative. So that's why I love it. That's why I enjoy it. I both, I've worked with both men and women and, you know, the all, everyone who is, has a, who, everyone who has a receptive heart picks up on that. And it's, it's beautiful to see. What has surprised you most? about working with your incarcerated brothers and sisters. What have you learned from them? Oh my gosh, I have learned how incredibly amazing they are. They're in some ways no different from me. Some of them know their Bible better than I do and how dedicated some of them are. And, you know, they made some mistakes and so they did something that they got put to put in prison for. But I'm so impressed with their humanity. And of course, the people that are coming to a Bible study are not necessarily uh, the worst examples of humanity in the prison to start with, but I have been deeply touched and wish I could keep up with these people that we have, we have bonded over these stories in the Bible. And it just, it has deeply enriched my life. I mean, and they'll share insights an experience they've had that I I hadn't seen in a particular Bible story or Bible verse, but they've applied it in a way that gave me insight. So it I've never felt like I'm going in there to straighten them out or to enlighten them. It's um it's it's a it's a joint process really, um, and I've I've been deeply touched by their humanity. James, I'm so grateful for your time today and for you having this conversation with me. I'm grateful for your spirit. Um, I, I just love the humility and the transparency with which you talk about God and the Bible and yourself. And I'm so grateful that we've had a chance to have this conversation. How can folks listening to us today engage with you and your work? Oh, well, first, let me say, I have enjoyed this so much. And we really, really just need to talk sometime where it's just you and me talking with no, with no uh, recording device. Uh, we would never stop. I, I think we'd never stop talking. Um, uh, the best way for people to uh, contact me is on my website. I have actually created a page and I'll send you this link. Uh, but if they would go to, if you're listening now, go to the Bible speaks to you.com forward slash messy. I've made a page. Uh, specifically for you, if you're listening to uh, Jason's podcast and this interview, um, I have some resources there for you. One, I would love for you to uh, subscribe to my podcast too. Uh, I know, you know, your time is valuable and I think you've maybe gotten a flavor of, of kind of what I'm trying to do with my podcast. So if you're interested, you can subscribe to the podcast on this page. You'll see at the bottom, you can subscribe um, to the podcast. Uh, another resource on my on this page that uh, I'll send you to is a collection of episodes from my podcast about your spiritual identity and your relationship to God and your purpose. And so uh, you'll see at the bottom, there's a little place, a little box you can click to go there. And the third thing is, you mentioned in, in the introduction, I do what I call Jesus Mindset Coaching. And I work with people to help them embrace for themselves this whole idea of thinking and living with the mindset of Jesus. And if you would like to have um, 
If you would like to get on the phone with me and just have a conversation, not about what that would be like, but we'd actually go through a coaching session where we would, we would talk about this and I would coach you. And, and that first call is totally without any obligation. I just want people to experience new incredible possibilities of what that can mean to embrace the mindset of Jesus. And so anyway, those are the, the resources I have for you, for your listeners. Um, I will also send you some links. I'm on Facebook and. Instagram. I'm not that active on social media, but I do love con- to connect with people. And so if, if anyone listening today, if you have a question or, or comment about anything I've said today, or you want to uh, argue with me on some point, I would love to hear from you. <laughs> I don't, well, I don't want to get into some big debate, but I would love to hear your perspective as well. So, um, you can go to that page and there, you'll see a place to contact me. Um, anyway, the Bible speaks to you dot com forward slash messy. And friends, you'll find a link to that address in the notes on this episode on your podcast platform of choice. James, I love you, brother. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Jason. I just love, love, love your heart. And uh, it's, it's, it's a delight to be here with you on your show. And uh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. If you found it meaningful, please rate and review the show on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Join the conversation by following the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or joining our listener-exclusive Messy Conversations group on Facebook. Finally, check out Jason's weekly Pathios column at MessySpirituality.org. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with another new episode.